Welcome back. Glad you tuned in for another Smart Driving Cars podcast. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Uh, hi, good afternoon, Fred. Good afternoon, and we are very happy to have with us from Zooks, Chief Safety Innovation Officer, Dr. Mark Rosekind. Thanks for taking the time, Mark. My pleasure. Great to be with you guys. So nice to have you, Mark. Well, by way of background for our listeners and viewers, you're a former administrator of NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, and former member of the National Transportation Safety Board. Before that, you were a leading researcher in the field of sleep and fatigue at NASA and more. What a background. <laughs> now, Zooks is, Zooks is an autonomous vehicle company acquired by Amazon last year, and you are out with an updated in-depth safety report. Before we dive into that, uh, Mark, give us a bit of an overview of what sets Zooks apart from other companies in this space and perhaps made it so attractive to Amazon. Uh, that's a great place to start uh, because the company, which was founded in 2014, has always had one very clear vision, which is to do the full stack, build a vehicle from the ground up specifically for autonomous mobility, do the AI and operate the fleet. And that integrated system uh, was believed to be the way to go for this you know, complex issue of managing transportation. Um, and since 2014, we have stayed on that path. Um, so we're building a fully autonomous, all-electric vehicle that has been built for riders, not drivers, and to move people around cities. And that's been the same path from the beginning. And then let me jump in and say, um, uh, I think that is a great path. And it, you know, it's really two different ways to go on this thing. One way is basically to, to make the vehicles that we buy easier to, to, to drive and more comfortable and so on. And the other is to provide mobility to folks who could use the mobility and applaud you for st staying on that course on that second one. And we'll talk later about, uh, you know, really making that happen. Now, in this new safety report, uh, you talk about 100 safety innovations that don't exist in conventional cars today. We're talking specifically about the Zooks vehicle unveiled last December. Tell us about this vehicle, what it's designed for, and we'd love to step through what some of the key innovations are. Sure. So I think uh, people should go online. So zooks.com slash safety to get the report. But to your point, this doesn't look like what's on the road today. Um, and I got to get a better word for it, but it's kind of like a green toaster in the sense that, you know, when you look at it, it's actually carriage seating. Again, it's built for riders, not drivers. Level four, level five. There's no steering wheel. There are no brake pedals, right? So it's, again, the idea is to be fully autonomous. Um, so it's got that carriage seating and sliding glass doors. Um, and so it just looks different than, you know, pretty much everything that's on the road today. Um, but to your point, and, and Alan, you sort of got us there in the first place, which is, our vision has been to build a vehicle from the ground up for autonomous mobility, designed not to have a steering wheel, not to have the brake pedals, right? It's to let the AI drive. We humans, we're just the riders, okay? And so this report 
basically portrays what you can do with a clean slate building from the ground up. And so we cover nine. I'll just give you a couple examples and we can dive into them as much as you'd like. Um, but we separate them based on our philosophy of prevent and protect. That's the safety philosophy we kind of work by. We really think that autonomy gives us a chance to prevent incidents from happening in the first place. And then if something does happen, how do you protect people? As opposed to, as you know, for the last hundred years, it's like, let's wait for a crash. And then we figure out, could we have done something better? Better crash tests, better seatbelt, et cetera. So prevent and protect. So the three areas we talk about in the safety report, driving control, no single point of contact, and rider protection. And again, I'll do this briefly and then we'll go into whatever, whatever depth you want to in any of them. Under driving control, we actually have independent braking and active suspension that allows us to have shorter stopping distances because of our braking control. So that should be an obvious safety advantage, especially if you're in a congested city, that it means basically you can stop shorter, you have more time for evasive maneuvers, right? Um, and so, I mean, that's just like a basic thing, which is why the second one, which is four wheel steering, uh, and again, usually most might have front or back or whatever, ours, every wheel, you know, you can operate independently, okay? And so what is that? That gives us accuracy down to centimeters. So when you decide what path you're driving on, literally down to centimeters accuracy and keeping you there, including at speed through curves, okay? So again, when you think about control of a car or any vehicle that's on the road, just being able to have that precision driving and steering along with shorter stopping distances, huge. The one I hope we talk about more that I just tell people, get your head around this, but our vehicle is bi-directional. There is no front or back. And so what's interesting about that is you pull into a parking place, drop somebody off, and when you leave, you're going forward again. Now, what that means in a city, no more U-turns, no more three-point turns. And why does that matter from a safety perspective? Well, think about it. When you're making that U-turn, you are vulnerable to oncoming traffic, potentially literally in the middle of a busy city, et cetera. And now you're never making a U-turn again or a three-point turn. Okay. So uh, that's the bi-directional. Uh, I'll just mention that in the um, no single point of failure, what we've done is use that as a design objective for our safety critical systems. That's like aviation level safety, but in the road, right? And so without getting into it, we have two powertrains, two batteries, um, and we have a, a safety monitoring system that not only tells you if there's an issue, not you, but us, but actually can mitigate a problem. So you finish your ride, don't even know there was an issue, like with degraded sensor performance, et cetera. And then the final category we talk about is rider protection. And uh, because we have the carriage seating, which means basically you could end up in any seat in a vehicle, we are designing for five-star level safety in every seat in the vehicle. And as you both know, right now, crashworthiness is mostly focused on the front seat, right? Where the driver is and the front passengers. In our vehicle, we're going to we're again designing for five stars in every seat. I hope you looked in there because it's got a whole new airbag configuration, right? You don't have a steering wheel, you don't have a dash, whole new airbag configuration. And even the safe belts, the seat belts, we have innovations there too. So I gave you almost all nine of them there, uh, but it's the kind of stuff that only if you build from the ground up can you put these kind of safety innovations uh, into a vehicle. 
Yeah, I, I sort of appreciated the curtain sort of airbag situation that you have that basically uh, now that you don't have all these uh, like a steering wheel and so on there that you actually can drop these things down and, and you know where it is and you can control it. And so therefore that, you know, the, the as we know, hey, we don't want these to crash but going to zero crashes is okay. It's a nice public policy objective, but you know there there is it. But to really um, mitigate and, and be able to deal with it, I think you you've done a wonderful job. And I, I and it, and you in in your in your uh, website you you do present all this very well. Uh, let me let me to me when I've when I've read your forward and backward i thought it was really good i thought it, to me it went geez for package delivery it's actually perfect not that we're talking i don't know to what extent we want to get it well at least for i don't know 50 percent of what amazon delivers i you take a number in there comes to maybe homes like mine or something like that in which there's a driveway you go up the driveway and back down the drive. I mean, you go boom. I mean, it's just like perfect. You just hop down the street in some sense, which, which in, in a sense, uh, you know, because otherwise you've got to back up uh, unless you have a circular driveway. Yeah, and who, do, you know, how many that gets us down to the one or two percent in that in that part. And and also, you know, in terms of picking up and dropping off people, well, well, maybe maybe this provides door to door service, or maybe it provides service from a from a zook stop to a zook stop um you know even you know those kinds the the opportunity to reconfigure those to deal with that because there's then pedestrian interaction going on because that's where your your customers are coming in there as pedestrians the opportunity that that gives you with that make that easier and of course the way you've designed the vehicle easy to get in easy to get out it it is I know people hate mass transit, but it, it is it is it is mobility for people, and that really is transit. And providing mobility for people is is what I I think all the the driverless piece of this thing is all about. That's that's where the opportunity is. And uh, Alan, I gotta thank you for highlighting the bidirectional. Yeah. Because I can't tell you how often I bring that up or someone from Zook says bi-directional and it, people just walk by it, you know, like, oh yeah, what's the deal? And, it, and it's kind of like, there's nothing on the road like that. And to your point, everyone can think of a, a particular situation when you're driving or on the end of, you know, receiving something or being drunk, where that would be a, a game changer, right? I mean, and it's just, especially when you think about operating within a congested city or, you know, a downtown or other places, the opportunities are just mind blowing. It, it doesn't have to be in a congested city. It can also be in the, in the suburbs or in the less congested or where people actually live. It doesn't have to be. And we'll get to that because I want to discuss to you another opportunity, but, but, you know, in, in, in the places where you take the distribution of where people live in, in the United States, uh, you know, there's, few that live in Manhattan and the few that live out, you know, who knows what in the open areas of Wyoming or something. And, and the rest of them are basically in this medium density sort of environment that the, that the car has built up over the years. 
And, and in fact, the opportunity is to provide mobility in, in those places that, um, that has a chance of competing with the car and, and has a chance of really um, uh, finding better ways for people to, to be able to get from A to B. How many passengers, Mark, uh, are these designed for currently? I know you can be changing this all the time, but. Yeah, it's currently designed for four people. And, you know, we're going to emphasize ride sharing, but just like current ride hailing, you could get, you know, ride on your own if you want, you know, or you could share or you could do whatever. And I think, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more. I'll say this and then we'll apply it to, I'm sure, some future questions, but we're building a platform. And so it's easy to imagine this for going to eight, right, packages. I mean, it's a platform that you could take and uh, you know, design it into different configurations uh, for different kinds of use cases. Yeah, I, I think that's that's to me that's that's a fundamentally important concept because you know the key thing with this this it has to get from A to B and it has to stay in the lanes and it has to not crash. Okay, I mean those are the fundamentals. Now, how many people you end up putting in it, whether it's two or whether it's six or what the sweet spot is. Um, what accommodation do you have for because they come from a grocery store and they have you know now a hand cart that they then put into this thing or you know all those all those things i think are are, are things that, that we probably still need to spend some time designing but but given given in some sense a skateboard a platform call it what you want that you can then go and and really apply to to look at 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 the customers at the marketplace and and and, and of course you're going to want to form it a little bit the key is this, the seated passengers is absolutely important why because that tells you how how hard you can break okay okay because you can put a seat belt around them and you can you can take advantage of your braking otherwise you have standees i mean you don't know what I mean. Serious, right. uh, you, you've you've got you've got a real challenge there, um, you know. And and and, and the ability to the, the shared ride piece of it is is extremely important. At least you know from my point of view, why just one to make these things affordable and to allow you to make money delivering affordable mobility. And and if you do it just with one passenger. But if you have an average vehicle occupancy of two or a little hair over two, I mean, on average, you know, you're going to have a distribution that's going to have a tail. You've got to pack in some, you've got to pack in some threes and the, some fours and maybe a couple of fives to be able to reach two because you're going to have a lot of ones, right? Two o'clock in the morning, you want to give service. Why not? It's a computer. It, it doesn't have to get an Uber driver out of bed, right? <laughs> Yep. So tell us what, what your response is to people. Obviously, we're big proponents here of this mobility for all and, and uh, ride sharing. But what do you say to people who, who now question, hopefully we're near the end of the pandemic, fingers crossed, who, who question whether or not the public is ready for, for ride sharing like this? You know, a lot of people love to talk about trust. You know, and what's it's going to take for people to trust these vehicles and, and to be comfortable as riders in them. 
And I've always pointed out that I, I think we need three things specifically. We need data. So people actually know uh, how they're safe, where they're safe, things like the safety report. We just, you know, we need data out there. Transparency. So people get to know what that information, what that data looks like. And the third thing, people don't talk about it much, but people are going to need experience with these. I was going to say experience. Absolutely. Yeah, a, that's. And I, I got to give you my example. I always tell people, you know, the iPhone's been out for about 12 years now. And there are all these surveys, as you know, that people, would you take a ride in an autonomous vehicle? Would you buy an autonomous car? And, you know, they're all low. And I'm saying like, I'm not sure those are very helpful. If, you know, 15 years ago, you did a survey that said, would you buy a phone that you'd put in your pocket? Maybe two, one for work, one for personal. And by the way, you'll use it for texting. What's texting? That's an app. What's an app? Okay. I mean, none of it existed 15 years ago. Look where we are today. So if you're surveying people before the iPhone existed, you'd be saying, well, nobody wanted to pay for that. Nobody knew what it was about. That's kind of what we're getting now. And so that's why, Alan, I think, you know, we're, you need data, you need transparency, but people need experience actually seeing them, getting in them. Because I got to tell you, uh, having been in a lot of rides with a lot of demos and stuff, it takes about a minute or so, you know, until people are like, they're just talking or getting out, you know, their phone or getting out there. Uh, it does not take much to get comfortable. And I think even more so in this new vehicle that's made for riders, you know, it's like going to design for that. So I, I think it's a big deal. You know, we're gonna get, we're gonna need people to trust these and a big part of that's gonna be experience, which can happen until we have more pilots, demos or actual services on the road for people to experience. You know, we've, we've seen some reports and I know Alan wants to follow up on that, but we've seen some reports with this, uh, with the bi-directional capability that, uh, you know, motion sickness is an issue. I think that some have been more blunt than that in the reports. Is it an issue here that, or, or what, what are you looking at and how do you counter it? So uh, this is why I'm glad we get to talk instead of just doing a headline, right? <laughs> right. Um, so first of all, in transportation, um, you know, having people in carriage seating has been on airplanes, 737s on Southwest had them for a long time, right? Um, trains still have them, right? I mean, you can still see that way, et cetera. And of course, things like, you know, taxis in London have the carriage seating. So this is not new, okay? If anything, because of our four-wheel steering, our independent braking, our active suspension, we actually probably get to give you one of the smoothest rides you will ever get, okay? And so we're actually not very concerned about it. Um, we'll measure that as people actually get in them to see if there's an issue. Um, I don't talk about this publicly much, but for you guys, we have a little time. Here you go. Uh, so I'm a recovering NASA scientist, okay? Um, and one of my friends uh, is a former uh, head flight surgeon for the astronaut office. And he went on to head up life sciences at Johnson Space Center, okay? And one of the things he helped figure out is something you'd never heard of before. It's called space motion sickness. Either one of you ever hear of that? No. Uh, all <laughs> no. my degrees are in aero. I have, but that's, I'm weird. So I'm like you. I've heard about the weightless flights. Go ahead, go ahead. People who go on the yeah. Go ahead. But this is like, yeah. Alan, yeah. you're the only yeah. one. And it yeah. is yeah. based on the weightless yeah. flights. Yeah. Is that when astronauts on the shuttle got up there, one to three days, they were vomiting and sick. And 
you know, what's going on, et cetera. And we're not talking one or two. It was highly prevalent, 70, 80% of the astronauts, okay? So this guy basically was the one who figured out, you know, what's the prophylaxis? What medication do we use? How do we use it? And, and pretty much got under control. Anyway, and he's a friend. And so he was over one time. I said, well, we got this carriage seating. It's bidirectional. You think we got a problem? And I was like, no, <laughs> I think you're going to be just fine. And it ends up, and I, I'm kind of doing this from memory, but I think it's around 12% of the population have motion issues in transportation, period. So they're not going to be on those rides at the carnival, okay, and put them even into a regular car, and they're going to be issues. So that's why, except for those folks who I think we're going to be able to provide a smoother ride than what they're used to. The issue has come up. What about, well, we'll study that just because it's, it's a new you know, platform, et cetera, but we're really not very worried about it at all. Yeah, I, I think you have some interior design opportunities because they're your vehicles that you can do things. And in the end, I mean, you can you can put flexible displays in there. You can grab their attention. Uh, some people can't read in the car. My daughter sits in the backseat and reads. I mean, I'm there. Oh, wow. I mean, uh, and things like that. Uh, and 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 hey, on New Jersey Transit, I mean, you know, much of it is, uh, hey, the cars are bidirectional. You know, who knows which way you're at? Actually, for the fixed seating, half of the seating is one way, half of the seating is the other way. Now, you might say, geez, we shouldn't go and do what New Jersey Transit does. But, you know, what, but in a sense, it's, it's, there's, there, there's some opportunities there. There's some real value. There's some real value of having people uh, face each other. If they don't wish to, to converse, they can, they, you know, they can look at their device. They can have that darn thing flashed in their face and they're not paying attention. They, they, they do it. I mean, you see any young person out, out, out for a dinner date. I mean, the two are sitting at a, at a table, both of them are looking, they're not looking at each. I mean, what goes on with those kids? I have no idea what's going on. They're looking at. So anyway, they're, they're I texting I, each other, Alan, that's texting. <laughs> I, Jesus, what, what, what's, what's going on there? I mean, the, the you know, other you're question, gorgeous. I want to look at I mean, <laughs> The other question, Mark, about this, the bi-directional thing and f- forgive my ignorance, both of you on this, how much does it change the sensors needed, the computational capabilities here, if there is no front and no back of the vehicle? Well, what's actually really good about it is it's kind of cut and paste. I'm going to say a couple of things that our engineers hate it when I talk about it this way. Uh, but it, it's really, when you think about it, it actually simplifies things because front and back are exactly the same, right? And so we've really decreased the number of quote, moving parts, because we literally have front and back to say, you build these two modules and then you put them together, right? And so, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. In fact, the way we manufacture this is we design all the different modules, there's more than two, um, tier one suppliers who really know what they're doing and build to our design, you know, send us the different modules. And then for quality control reasons, we're the place where it all gets put together, okay? And so what's interesting about that is it actually simplifies the design a little bit. And yet at the same time, as you see in the safety report, um, it actually allows us to do redundancies that you really would never do in a regular vehicle. Um, yeah, tell, so, tell us about that, because I read about that, the redundancies when it comes to steering, the driving controls, uh, even, even with power, right, in the vehicle. Yeah. 
Well, and it's what you just asked about, which is we have two powertrains, right? On both sides of the vehicle. And so when you think about it, you know, there's um, uh, battery and power in the back, battery and power in the front, right? Steering. Um, one goes out, the other can pick it up. In fact, yeah. you can have two of them, right? Go, and, and the same thing with the battery. We have one of the largest batteries, um, but it's actually two batteries and it works in concert. But if, you know, one of them goes out, the other one basically can keep you going to finish your ride. In fact, just to pull it out, because you read the report, but there are two batteries, uh, high voltage ones, but if they were both to go out, we also have two 12 volt batteries that control steering and braking. And if even both of those went out, we have an electronic parking brake that can provide backup even to those. So it's redundancy after redundancy after redundancy. Again, that's a design objective for our safety critical systems. And the, you both know this, but you know, the intent is to have fail safe operational, which means right. if something were to fail, you can still finish the ride and then go get something fixed, right? As opposed to just sort of the standard fail safe, which might be an emergency stop. Um, with fail safe operational, it means that you literally could finish your ride. You wouldn't even know there was an issue. Right. And, and of course, the objective is fail safe operational. And I think the airlines have gotten themselves into that. They've gotten enough information systems on there so that if something goes out, it doesn't fail. And if you're heading towards Houston, by the time you get to Houston, it knows which replacement part it has to put in there and does that whole thing. So, you know, that's all, I think, very good. And in the end, you know, even if you are, um, maybe you finish the ride, even if you had to just pull over and be safe pulling over and being safe is is everybody's going to be real happy one has that okay uh, you know my ride has been extended a little bit once in whatever small you know large number of times some sense who cares so i i think you know in in terms of that and i think uh, to your original or, or your other question fred you know whether or not this puts an additional burden in, in a sense really no i mean you you need to know what's going on 360 around you you need to be paying much more attention to what's ahead of you than what's behind you but you know that's just a flip. That's you know that's a gate on this thing, and 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 so in terms of you know requiring any other additional compute, you know much computational. I mean it's minuscule compared to what you need to do, and whether or not you're you're focused on that or focused on that, it's almost it's essentially indifferent. You need to have the capabilities to look both ways anyway, as well as to the side. So. Um, you know, uh, from my and Alan, thank you for doing that. Well, because yeah. Alan just brought us back to your original question, Fred, and I, I kind of veered a little bit from there. But um, building the vehicle from the ground up means that we could put the sensors in optimal positions for the bidirectional. Yeah. And so, while everyone will talk about 360 degrees view, um, we actually have 270 degrees field of view at each corner. Okay, and so when you think about what coverage that means for the vehicle, um, as Alan was just saying, it's really it's insignificant about the bi-directional part. Now, something that you've been both kind of alluding to, but we haven't said is we're going we're not going to sell this to you. We're going to sell yep. you the ride. And so yep. what that means is we can build a more expensive vehicle. We can put more sensors. We can build, you know, again, these redundant systems, et cetera. It's a little more expensive because that cost is being amortized over all the rides over the life of that vehicle. 
And as you know, if we were to sell you a vehicle, then you have to say, well, LIDAR is expensive. Do you really need this? Do you really need that? You know, what would people actually pay for? We don't have to do that. We can, you know, we can build one that we think has got the right sensor array, bi-directional or not, um, add other safety features that we think are going to make a difference. Because again, we're going to sell you the ride, not the vehicle. Wait, wait, wait. Let me jump in. I'll, I'll even say the vehicle becomes cheaper. Okay, because if you if you have this vehicle and you sell it to me, then you're the one that's responsible for me when I send this thing driverlessly to go pick up Fred and do whatever and I, you know, and whatever and it's your and me and you you're looking to me to maintain this, make sure that it's okay. Whereas if you're operating it and you're maintaining it in your fleet. My goodness, the, 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 if you look at the whole cost of operation of the vehicle, including that responsibility of the safety piece of it, uh, you're actually putting it out there on the street cheaper than what I think. If you go through the numbers, I think you'll find that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Can these designs be used in, in, on many types of roadways, highways, local, or, or are you strictly looking at you know, slower speeds. Yeah, the car actually is designed and operates up to 75 miles per hour. So it, it can do the full range. And, and you know, Alan caught me earlier, but, you know, our first deployment is in cities, but it's been designed for speed and everything else to operate anywhere. Yeah. And so, you know, like in San, we, we're testing in San Francisco, I guess, you know, 25 miles per hour in the city the actual average speed is like 12 and a half miles, right? So, I mean, it's, you know, down, but it's, uh, it's operating on our test track. It's been tested. Uh, there's actually some videos uh, that we have online up to 75 miles per hour. And you have, you have people on board during, during this testing period, I, I assume. But yes. I guess passengers would wonder, but what could they do? There's no steering wheel. Do... Well, for that's the, the whole for, idea. For, for they the don't safety, have to for, they don't the have to worry. for the people who are go, on board, are they there uh, strictly for observation, or do they have some electronic uh, tablet or phone that they can in an emergency that they can do something? You mean our folks in the yes, yes your in folks. testing? Yeah, 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 yeah Fred's asking. Got it. And and yeah. in fact, let me. That's a great question because I'm going to go even earlier, which is people. You know, they keep talking about when we're on public roads. The reality is. We do all kinds of laboratory testing. In fact, just yesterday, we put out a six and a half minute video of something we call LabBot, where we do dynamic and static testing on all the systems in the vehicles. It's actually, as the kids would say, very cool to see all this, but we do laboratory testing. We do simulation testing. We do um, track testing. We do private roads testing, and then there's public. So like Fred, what you were just asking about, when we're testing, whether it's 25 or 75, there are people in the vehicle, Zooks people in the vehicle, usually engineers or operators, and they have all kinds of electronics and other things that are either controlling the vehicle or monitoring the vehicle or both. Yeah, I'm sure they have a joystick in there. They take over. They can drive it. They know how to drive it. They've been trained to do it, of course. I mean, you're not going to put that thing out there with it. You're still in the testing phase. In the testing phase, I mean, if this person doesn't do anything, which is why I've always liked the disengagement measure. A lot of people don't like the disengagement measure, but, you know, 
in a sense, if you're out there and 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 uh, you, in some sense, when you're testing, you want to maximize disengagements. And people get at me for saying that. Why? Because you're trying to test the system at its limits to see what you really need to do. I mean, to just have it go do the things that it knows how to do. I hope you don't spend a nickel on that. It's a waste of your money. I mean, you're really out there trying to find those things so that you can fix them. And that's the key piece of that. But once you have it out there and you've decided your operational design domain, this is where you're providing service. This is the mobility you're going to provide to people. Then you've got to go out there and, hey, if, if then no disengagements with the folks that are in there to take over. If you don't need them anymore, okay, let them go work somewhere else where, you know, uh, and let's operate like this. At least that's the way I, I like to argue all that, that stuff. That's the way that well, has I, to proceed. Yeah, and, and Alan, you would not get an argument about the disengagements from me. I'm totally in line with you there. I think we're totally lined up, which is, you know, in testing, that's why you're doing it, right? Yeah. To find stuff that you can address and fix before it's actually out on the road with, you know, riders. So absolutely. Yeah, well, well we Donald have- Rumsfeld died. I mean, his obituary was in New York Times today. I mean, you know, the good thing about Donald, you know, you don't know what you don't know, okay? And you really try, you, one needs to find that out, okay? Because Mother Nature out there, it, it, it's not as if we got it all well to do, do, do. It's all the, uh, Mother Nature is out there throwing curveballs all the time. And we, we, we have to be able to hit the curveball and we have to be able to learn the curveball and we have to, so therefore that's the purpose of the testing and that's where it need, needs, needs the focus. And it's, you know, we're, can I ask you a question? You know, can I, to, I, but I'm gonna, you, know, you just raise another really great point, which is people talk about the disengagements and they talk about the miles that have been driven. And you just highlighted the same thing, which is we drive in San Francisco so we're in this dynamic, complex driving environment rather than someplace where we're not going to get exposure experience with places. So again, the same, yeah. Yeah, maybe in the beginning you're in Nevada and so on. Where, where, yeah, I mean, because you, you have to crawl before you, can, before you can walk, before you can run. I mean, this is all, all completely normal. You know, there's it's no big surprise that's associated. But can I jump to, you know, you were administrator of NHTSA. NHTSA just announced yesterday or the day before that the requirement that those who have even somewhat automated vehicles out there, if they crash, they should at least make the data available to NHTSA. And I claim, I think they should make it available to the public, to everyone. How did you take that announcement from NHTSA? Not, you know, not if you don't mind commenting on that or. Sure. Uh, You know, um, over the last few years, um, the agency's been, you know, mostly hands off. Right. And I think everybody's been kind of waiting and watching to see how this new administration is gonna jump into this arena. We've heard a lot of good things from the secretary, the deputy administrator who's the acting administrator, which had good things. I mean, they really appreciate the safety opportunity, et cetera. And so, you know, I'm not gonna speak for the whole industry. I'll just, you know, say at least at Zooks. Um, We're, you know, very pleased to see this. 
because I just said data transparency, right? For trust. Yeah. And, and that's exactly in line with it. Um, having you know been in the chair at NHTSA, I think what you're also getting to is a lot of people are waiting to see what does it mean specifically, okay? Because I mean, you mentioned the disengagements. One of the reasons we even talk about that is because California as a state, if you want a permit, you yeah. got to report miles and disengagements. Right. And then right. if you're in an right. incident, right. well, you know, having been through this, I got to tell you, the discussions about how do you define a disengagement, you yeah. know, with that, and so I think those are the kind of things that people are waiting to see, you know, of just, you know, what does this mean concretely? Yeah. Um, and again, I think I already said, I think we want people to trust. There's got to be data and there's got to be transparency. So again, waiting to see how all of that comes together. Um, for the whole industry. Because the last thing I have to say about this is um, people like to think it's one or the other. You know, it's like government's got to be there and regulate this. The industry's got to do X, Y, Z. Safety advocates got to push on, you know, the academics got to look at, it's the whole system yeah. if we want to be safe, right? Yeah. Every one of the players has a role and we've got to try and get them involved if we want to actually see safety being moved forward. Yeah, but uh, you know, my, I, I was elated to see this announcement, I I just thought it. Would, I, I'm I, I just I was elated. Why? Because I, I really in this industry we have to. I'll, I'll use the word collude with safe with respect to safety. We can't be competing on safety. And I know collusion is a really bad word in a capitalistic entity and so on and so forth. But in fact, you know, the, the, the sharing of information, again, this this learning what we don't know, this this business, which is what one would expect out of a crash. My goodness, it's not to start pointing fingers and so on. It's to find out Let's fix it. And, and in fact, you know, to, to be able to now have the data and share it among, among, in some sense, all of us, I'll throw myself in the industry, even though I'm just an academic, uh, you, know, um, um, you know, out there uh, to, to all learn from each other, because my goodness, if, 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 we, if we have a Hindenburg moment or anything that looks like a Hindenburg moment, it's over. Okay, and we, we have to be we we have to be safe, and it's a we thing here. It, it's a necessary condition for this to happen. It 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 it'd be nice if it was a sufficient condition, but it, it's a it's an absolute necessary condition. So, I I just I just thought that that was great. I know there's some details about you know how you report and so on mm -hmm. and so forth, but. My goodness, don't go hide it. And, you know, you know, it's only mine. And I, hey, I figured it out. You guys, you know, you're going to trip over. It. I mean, none of that. I mean, that's grade school stuff. We, we can't be doing. <laughs> so, well, and am I you already said you, well, you already said you're from Arrow. And, you know, I already mentioned my NASA stuff. It's like we know in Arrow, you don't compete on safety. Absolutely. And, and, and 12 years in a row, they went with no one dying in a commercial aviation crash you know tw it's like road safety uh, right i mean it's just and you can actually like, end up doing it you know and by the way staying there is even harder right yeah i mean just yeah. staying there and so it's like road safety you know you can't be complaining <laughs> about this is hard or da, da 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 until you can meet that and so I, I mean i'm on the record of you know i think as you know in aviation they share safety data 
Yeah. You know, they, they make it anonymous, they make it group, a science, there's all kinds of ways to do this. Um, and again, I'm on the record, I think, you know, sharing safety data, not intellectual property and da, 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 not what we're talking about. Yeah. Right. I called never again. You know, somebody gets, you know, loses their life in a crash in Arizona. Yeah. Never again. That information should be shared, right, shared across the industry because every company shouldn't have to have experiences like that to figure out how to fix that particular situation, right? Never again. Once and then never again. Absolutely on that one, because, you know, you have the LIDAR data, you have the radar data, you have all the data that's associated with that. And, um, and um, whoa, we got my dog going crazy here. We're going to have to cut this piece out. No, it's Whatever. Fine. Or maybe we'll leave Pe it. Peggy's but, You fine. know, Peggy is out there saying, yeah, I mean, we have well, to share safety data. Right. Well, we've got a very ominous sky here. If I'm running, it's because we've got a tornado warning. But <laughs> anyway. Wow. We'll be back with more, but first, this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. On the website, it's a good idea to read the white paper. It's called the Smart Transportation Revolution. It's under the Insights and News tab. Some great information there to help you make informed decisions. And you may know that ETFs can be a smart way to spread risk with investments and focus on a particular category of stocks. The website again is MOTOETF.com. We're back with more of Smart Driving Cars with our guest, Dr. Mark Rosekind from Zooks. Mark, how much has your background and all that we've been talking about the last few minutes, your background at NHTSA played into what you're doing at Zooks and your conversations with the, with the engineers? You know, I, I can't say enough good things about Zooks um, because your question gets right to it, which is, I can tell you a lot of safety people always wonder what's the environment going to be like? Am I going to be arguing with people? Am I going to be having like, we need to do X, Y, Z for safety. Is there going to be an argument about it? Is there going to be like, yeah, let's applaud and move forward. Um, I got to tell you from uh, pretty much every level at Zooks, and we say this, Zooks, uh, safety is foundational to everything we do. And I have seen that. And to your question, it means that my NTSP experience, NITS experience, even NASA scientists, the stuff you know that I bring every day to the conversations and things, um, people are not only open to it, they're always looking for like, okay, so can I do this with that? Can I change this? Can I make it safer if we do this? And, and if anything, I think, um, just so you know, the evolution of our, our target you know, we want to set the bar for safety came from my constantly saying, nobody's done this before. You know, those, those brilliant engineers would be in the room saying, how do I do X and Y and Z? And it's like, you know, I, I want to pull a book off the shelf and figure out what formulas I need. Or it's like, nobody's done this before. This is our, this is the moonshot of our generation, you know? And so that's why I'm constantly, was constantly saying, look, we don't know. So you know what, for Zooks, set the bar. We want to be the ones to set the bar. And, you know, we're not going to always get there, but as a place to start, that's a great place to start is to feel like you're setting the bar. And so for safety, um, I've been very, very impressed um, with how people, you know, have just grasped onto how do we make this foundational? And if anything, it's, I won't get into detail here, but if anything, it's kind of funny where occasionally I'm actually the guy saying, no, that's actually okay. You know, they've gone even more conservative, 
But with my experience, you know, I can say, look, I got why you wanted to do it that way, but we're okay. You don't have to do that. You know, it's kind of like you could finish the ride. You don't have to stop in the middle of the road for that one. You know, it'd actually be safer to go do, you know, the finish. Um, and so it's, it's a really, it's a great question. I'm glad you asked it um, because people are often wondering, you know, where safety fits in the culture of an organization. Um, and I don't think there's any question, at least at Zooks, that safety's built in foundational. And, and I'm hoping um, that a lot of the developers, you know, get away from the move fast and break things, which is Silicon Valley. You don't want to do that in this area because those things you're breaking are people's lives. Can't do that. And so I think, you know, safety's got to be absolutely central for everybody trying to solve these problems. Now, let's talk a little bit about the timeline. You're testing now San Francisco, Las Vegas, and everybody that you run into socially, I'm sure asks you, okay, so when am I going to be riding in a Zooks? So tell us what the, what the timeline looks like and what has to happen. Yeah, I wish I had a dollar every time somebody asked that question. Right. You know? um, so what's interesting about that for Zooks is um, we showed our purpose-built vehicle. Um, it's in all kinds of testing, on the road, crash testing, et cetera. And we'll be doing more piloting and demo kinds of things over the next year, okay? Um, moving people, including non-Zooks people um, in demos and pilots, okay? So we'll see that maybe in, again, another, you know, one to two years, we'll see more of that. And so shortly after that, um, you will see us moving toward public service. But I think the question that you're asking that's really critical for people is, you know, the next two or three years, we'll be seeing not just Zooks, but many others on the road, um, but what people want to know is when do I see it everywhere? You know, I can leave my office building, go to the corner with my app, and here comes my Zoops ride. That everywhere, everyone's corner, that's 20 or 30 years away probably. And most people don't realize that, but even one piece of new regulated technology, a minimum of 12, maybe 15 years to see that technology penetrate the 265 million vehicles on the road. That's like one piece of technology. So when you're thinking about this whole system changing, 20 or 30 years is probably at least what we should be expecting. Alan, I know you want to get in here and, and talk about, you know, where some testing might might be done. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess uh, if, if Mark doesn't mind talking about that, uh, we could. I mean, uh, and, and it's where I'm laser focused and trying to make something happen. I've, I've been trying to make something happen here in New Jersey for some time. And, and, and really, um, I guess I've ended up ending, sending that uh, feeling that uh, Trenton, the, the state capital is actually, uh, to me, the, uh, um, the poster child of, of place, <clears throat> places where this mobility really uh, could change people's lives i mean yeah, you, you've I, you mentioned know, I, many times alan that the, that the, the mobility that people need there could bring them to the 15 dollar an hour jobs at an amazon warehouse that's yeah i mean you know it's, it's if you if you look at you know if you look at, at that one i mean it's sort of our 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 key value proposition is that here we have uh, amazon providing you know 2000 or whatever really reasonably paying jobs for people to <clears throat> feed their families and so on. And of course, where is it located? 
next to the New Jersey Turnpike. Uh, New Jersey Transit go there? Well, of course not. It's next to the New Jersey Turnpike. I mean, you know, uh, well, of course not. And and what does somebody have to do to go there and punch in at seven o'clock in the morning? I mean, it's hour and 20 minutes. And you miss that one. You don't punch in. You, you don't punch in. Guess what? You're not hired very long. I mean, it, it, the, the the mobility of, of folks in the, the the Trenton area. I mean, um, Chandler, the 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 average vehicle occupancy, seventy uh, percent of the of the household have two or more cars. I I claim you can't live in Chandler without owning a fleet of cars. You don't move there without owning a fleet of cars. In Trenton, 70% of the households have one or fewer, okay? And, you know, those are the folks that need the mobility. And guess what? They don't need to go 75 miles an hour, okay? Mm -hmm. All right. In fact, you know, you look at the, at, the, at the daily needs of folks that live there to improve their lives. I mean, these, to me, these systems are, are just are perfect for this and we need to get somebody here and they said oh well it might snow one day now with it there are 365 days okay we miss five uh, you know come on we, there are 360 we can do or maybe 350 or, or, or 340 or you know uh, come on i mean and and in a sense the, the need and, and the opportunity to start it in trenton and have it grow and, and to really provide provide mobility to people who won't look at it. Oh, well, I had three cars in a garage and they came and picked me up. And, you know, I mean, not to downplay that one, but, but for me, this is the way, this is what I use every day. To, it's changed my life. It's allowed me to feed my family. It's allowed us to... I want you guys to come here, okay? <laughs> I want you to bring a no, serious, and, and I'm yeah. I'm working like hell, and uh, of course, and, and of course, uh, we the, realize there are a lot of Trentons in in this country. And then you look at the country. number of Trentons; there are two hundred of them. They're all over the place, and so on. Now they're they're not the downtown San Francisco. They're not necessarily where. I mean, Manhattan, forget about it, okay? I mean, just don't even try, okay? You, you, you will not succeed. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just, if you want my advice. But Trenton, you could. But if you, if you go there, then the, the, the clientele is different the, 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 and so on. And one, ha and one has to learn that. I don't know what it is. I, I live here in a bubble of Princeton. I mean, don't I, I, mean, I don't know what the heck's going on. I, I, you know, but there, they're, they're, and, and, and we would love to have you here to help figure that because I think then the, 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 the sociology, there's a sociology component on this thing. Mm -hmm. There's a technology component. There's a sociology component. <clears throat> and, and we would love to help you uh, work down that sociology component to make this allow you to come here, provide mobility and make money and be happy and go out and, and you know, and move packages to and get, you know, and everything else. Why not? Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so, that's, I don't, I don't think he can give you a yes or no, right? No, now. of course <laughs> he can't. I, I, you know, I just, I'm, but yeah. I, I, you, you know me, it's like, I'm going to take it on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let, let me two things. Um, so last week, uh, AUVSI and SAE started a brand new forum called 
the business of auto uh, automated mobility, BAM, right. okay? And, and I did one of the keynotes and it was, you know, how do you go from hype to reality and actually address the challenges on the road? So the reason I'm bringing that up is because I think there are two parts of this that while we're not gonna solve it all, could actually give you a path. So part of the focus was what could cities do that they could actually attract developers and some of this kind of service, okay? So there are some things like put a task force together, you know, with appropriate representation from the city, um, make sure you actually come up with sort of a strategic plan. What does your city want? Are you looking to solve, you know, uh, city mobility, the kind of stuff you were talking to, to uh, warehouse workers, uh, complement public transit, first and last mile? Are you looking for delivery services? Do you know uh, your curb space for pickup and drop off? Do you have control over that? Um, if you had electric vehicles, ours are all electric. What's the grid like if people want? So there are things that cities could do to just prepare and position themselves, including sort of be explicit about your interest in bringing this on. And that's why the second thing is every developer, whether it's a legacy OEM manufacturer or some of the new tech developers, they all, everyone's got a group internal to the company that's searching for the next Trenton. You know, it's like you're doing testing, but everyone's trying to figure out testing's one thing, where do we actually start the public service? And so um, everyone's got a group internal to the company that's trying to evaluate that in different cities. And so I would say, Trenton, you know, you should start with some of the things I just listed. Um, and then, you know what, contact every developer you can think of and say, here's why we're a good, you know, place for you to think about. And I got to tell you, when I was administrator, I used to joke about it, but you know, one of the most assertive groups was Beverly Hills. They used to come in twice a year to tell us why it'd be great. And it's like, we're NHTSA, we don't actually provide the service, you know, but they were talking to everybody. And I think cities that really do want to promote this should go out and not only kind of define what they're looking for, but then seek out these developers and start those conversations to see whether or not you can get that match. So uh, I agree with you 100%. So in fact, you know, what I've been doing for the past whatever, at least how many years, Fred, is, is, is trying to create in New Jersey what I call a welcoming environment, okay? And that welcoming environment includes from the governor on down, as well as the grassroots, okay? As well as the neighborhoods where this has to operate. Because for you to be successful in Trenton, you, any one of you, for you, and let's take Zooks to be successful in Trenton, it has to be embraced by the, by the neighborhood. And I, I've said many times here, if, if I don't want one of these things running down Cleveland Lane here in the Western section of Princeton, I'm gonna send Peggy out there, it will stop. I'll run out there with my jack, jack it up, put it on cinder blocks and steal its wheels. I mean, you guys don't have a chance. You don't have a chance. You, you can't Uber and lift it and say, hey, lawyer up, guys. I mean, you, you right. can't. You, you, well, at least I don't think you can. Right. But if we can create that welcoming environment, and this is what I've been telling everyone around here and promoting everyone around here, we create a welcoming environment so that, that we really will partner with you 
to provide the mobility to improve the quality of life of our citizenry. And if we really can believe in that, then we'll make it easy for you to be successful. And we, I hope that you'll realize that in that process, that you'll come out here and give us a chance for you to be, to make you successful. Because in fact, otherwise the value, the, the hundred billion or whatever the number that's been invested to this point in this technology, if we don't get some societal value out of this, which includes, you know, making some people better off as well as you getting a return on investment, which you absolutely deserve. What are we doing this for? A report on the shelf? I mean, I have tenure. I don't want it. Okay. <laughs> no, thank you. The hell with that. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm, I don't, that's where we are. <clears throat> Just wanted to let you know since I had the opportunity, but we're getting close. But we're not going to ask you really until we have our ducks in order. We under, we think we understand that. My goodness, you do not want to go and get involved in a, you know, he said, she said, whatever situation. You don't even know what the heck you want, and I don't think you can swashbuckle your way in here, the way Uber and Lyft did it to get out there. And you know, it's this is a different business. You're providing yeah. mobility in an automated way and have to deliver safety and you have nobody to rely on except for yourself and, and your system to, I mean, you know, that's not easy. Is it? Talk to me here. You know, and, yeah. and while you're at Mark in, in, while you're talking about that also in, in closing, maybe you want to talk about what the vision is at Zooks. I mean, you have this great Amazon backing now, the enormous, uh, which is an enormous company. backing. Right. Jeff Bezos, so, class of '86, whatever. Go ahead, <laughs> <laughs> and McKinsey Scott too. But whatever, never mind. <laughs> but you, you have that. You have that. And I guess the question is, the what is the vision of Zeus? Is it to provide throughout the country, throughout the world, this new kind of mobility to, to us all? And obviously, there's the obvious. Uh, component of being able to deliver goods, which is so much of what Amazon does. I think the big picture for all of us is we want to provide riders with a, a safer, cleaner, and more enjoyable way to get around. We'll start in cities, but that's globally. And I think to your point, you know, Zooks had a big vision anyway, but with Amazon, it's a global scale vision of bringing that safer, cleaner, and more enjoyable ride to everybody. Um, and, and that really is, and, and I say that because we are in a transformational moment where we can enhance safety, mobility, and sustainability for the planet, all three of those things through this new technology. And you know, it's gonna take us some time, big deal. <laughs> you know, Given what the opportunity is, uh, I think we've all gotta get on board to figure out how to make this successful. The benefits are too great. And to the question of um, packages, I always tell people, you know, um, we're wholly owned by Amazon, but we're independent. They've been very clear that we're going to stay focused on moving people. But as we've already talked about, this is a platform, right? I mean, it's absolutely obvious at some point we're going to be moving packages, larger numbers of people, other kinds of use cases, et cetera. We're building a platform, again, that globally 
there's a chance to make the roads safer, move more people with mobility and more sustainable for our planet. That's a trifecta that's hard to beat. Absolutely. I agree with it. And I, you know, that, that trifecta keeps me going every day, gets me out of bed every day. And again, I look, I look at the Amazon opportunity in a sense on the package delivery piece is that in fact, I don't know what percentage of Amazon's packages could be delivered between midnight and 5 a.m. where the, when the road system is not being used at all, where there aren't kids running after balls, where mother nature isn't as behaving as bad as she can behave during the day or good or however you want to take that cliche that in fact, you know, the, 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 the walking before you're running and all that sort of part of it could really be a precursor to actually moving people during the day where again, you can, you can actually deliver some good and some good, you know, while you're learning, while this thing is maturing, while it's get, it's really uh, uh, racking up its safety succeed, success. And it's, it's not a bad opportunity to have in the process of, of the vision that you mentioned. Well, Mark, we really want to thank you for taking the time to be with us. So much great information. It's really been terrific. Yeah, really appreciate well, it, Mark. I mean, it's a great discussion. Uh, maybe I, I chimed in too much. I had some things that I wanted to say. To, well, look, I think I think we're I think you know we're on the same page on these things. I, I think we are, and 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 it's really good to see. And and congratulations for um, for for all the progress you're making, and and keep it going, and and keep the focus. Let us know when we can come for a ride, right? <laughs> uh, well, listen, yeah. we're working on it. We're, yeah. we're working on those demos. So stay in touch and we'll figure out when we can do that. Yeah. And, and we're, and, you know, I'm doing everything I can to, to have a really red carpet for you uh, to come here to Trenton. So um, anyway, thank the you. The safety report for those who want to take a look is at zooks.com slash safety. Thank you to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO. More information is available at MOTOETF.com. You can find us at SmartDrivingCar.com. Also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Amazon, Apple, Google, Spreaker, wherever you turn to for podcasts. And you can get your Alexa to play us too. You can find my tech reports at Textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Helen Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching, and please stay safe. And happy 4th of July to everyone. And Mark, um, have a great uh, holiday. Huh? Thank you. Thank you both.